how are you today? Good. good. <laughs> feeling good. Um, I'm feeling great after that time of worship. It was lovely. Nice to be in God's presence. Um, so welcome today if you're visiting as well. Great to have you with us. Oh, I'm feeding back. Um, so today I'm going to be talking about um, powerful people. It's a continuation from a series that I started in, um, in March. So if you want to look at the first part, go ahead and listen to it online. Um, we're talking about powerful people and having hope and what it, what it means to be a people of hope. God wants us to be powerful. He wants us to be full of hope. And today I wanted to focus particularly on what that looks like to have hope in the middle of pain. What's it like to be in like your worst, darkest time, but to still have hope? God demonstrated it. The disciples demonstrated it. Um, it's amazing what we can learn when we, when we look at God's word. But what does that mean for us as people of hope? Now, I've got to say that I am one of the most pain-averse people that I know. I think if something painful comes on the TV, I'm reaching for the remote. If someone asks me to go and jump out of a plane, I'd be like, no, I'm right down here, thanks, I'm fine. Um, not scared of heights, I'm just, you know, scared of hurting myself. So um, for me, this is like a really big lesson that God has been teaching me over the last few years and the last few months. Um, and I just wanted to unpack some of that with you because I really believe that God wants us to be a people who are able to have hope, but also able to still demonstrate love and still be able to rejoice in the midst of really, really dark times. So I'm just going to start with um, a personal story. So I've got a personal story. I've got some Bible verses, some examples. I want to look at the story of Job as well really quickly near the end. Um, and then another story as well from what God's been doing with me recently. But my personal story of knowing God through dark times was um, about five years ago, God purposefully led me into a battle. I believe that God purposefully led me into a battle that he knew I was going to lose. And I was like, thanks God, that's great. If he told me I was going to go into this battle and lose, of course, I wouldn't have gone anywhere near it, would I? Um, but I knew that... Um, God was building something really amazing in that time through me, and that there was a process that I had to go through. It was a painful process, but what came out the other end was amazing. So the story was, um, God had led me into um, a job at a school, and he miraculously, I think, opened the door for me for this job and this position in the school. And um, it was all going really well, and everyone loved me, and it was fantastic, and then... Um, one night I had a dream, it was the 6th of December I think, I had a dream and in this dream it was a really long complicated dream, I didn't understand a word of it and at the end of the dream there was a crocodile and it was after me and it had no teeth but I was still really afraid of this crocodile and I ran into the house and I just hid and I was too scared to come out um, the day after that dream um, a parent had made a complaint about me at the school and I knew from them it wasn't going to end well. So I um, don't think I necessarily did anything wrong in that situation, but I knew the way that it was being handled, this wasn't going to end well for me. So I was praying about it, and I was just, God, shall I just walk away now? That's like obviously the less painful thing to do, is to walk away, and I know it's not going to end well, I know I'm not going to win. And um, God said, no, you've got to stay and fight. So I stayed in that situation for, I think it was about six months. 
um, for each stage of the process. And each stage was really, really painful because I knew I wasn't going to win. And I knew that I knew that God knew that I wasn't going to win. <laughs> but I knew that he wanted me to see it through to the end. And I'm like, oh, God, what is going on here? What is the purpose of all this? Why are you making me go through this? And the amazing thing was that every single day, because I, I was um, feeling so bad that every single day I needed a word from God to kind of nourish me and fulfill me. And every single day I asked God for a fresh word. And every single day he was speaking to me words about my destiny, my future, um, how he sees me, how amazing he thinks I am, and what he's got planned for me in the future. And I think, wow, that's amazing. And he was just pouring out his love on me every single day. And um, the dream as well that I managed to interpret in that process the beginning part of the dream, which was really long and complicated again, was all about my future and my destiny and what he's got for me. And I'm like, wow, God isn't speaking into this situation, but he was doing something in that situation, but he was speaking hope and life and love into me. And I just want to say as well today that if anyone's going through pain and you don't know that God is with you and that God is loving you and pouring out his love on you in the middle of your pain, um, you need to go back to God with a fresh perspective and um, fresh eyes, and we'll come to that hopefully a bit later. So um, the other thing that God was doing in me in that period, I just felt like it was important to say, was that sometimes God takes us through situations that breaks the one thing that is holding you back. So for me, the one thing that was holding me back was being judged by others. I didn't want other people's opinions. I was really easily swayed by people liking me or not liking me. And that defined who I was. And God took me through that process where I couldn't win over other people's opinions. I couldn't make them like me. I couldn't make them believe me. I couldn't change their minds at all. But by the end of the process, I was so much more confident in myself than I was at the beginning. I was so much more confident in who God said I was and so much more stronger internally um, through that process. So it was an amazing thing that God did in that time. And, and pain isn't bad, is what I'm here to tell you. And God wants us to embrace pain and to um, take hold of it and say, yes, bring it on. And that's just not my character, but that's what God wants us to do. So think about, for example, if you wanted to become part of the SAS or, um, you know, or you wanted to do something really amazing, you would have to train really hard for it. You'd have to work really hard. And God takes us through these things because he's got something amazing for us. And um, he wants us to, to walk with him in self-discipline, in hope, and in faith, and in perseverance to get to a place um, where we can do stuff that we couldn't have done stuff before. We're literally tra training our muscles and literally building our muscles. And God is like our amazing coach cheering us on, going, come on, you can do it, you can do it, I believe in you. So for God, the pain isn't as bad as it is for us. For God, he doesn't see it as like something to be avoided. He sees it as something to be embraced and something that's necessary to go through in order to get to where you want to go through. If you remember that God isn't a stranger to pain. Jesus died on the cross because he thought it was worth it, because it was thought it was worth it for us. And the father watched his son go through excruciating pain. I often wonder who was it worse for? Was it worse for, worse for Jesus dying on the cross? Or was it worse for the father having to watch his son go through so much pain? But they did it because they loved us. They did it because we were worth it. 
and that's amazing. Um, Molly Fletcher, who's a sports coach, she says that the sports, in the sports world, talent is never enough. Athletes must have talent and discipline and purpose and perseverance. The ones that really make it are the ones that have talent and fearlessness. Does that sound like any Bible verses that you know? That sounds like a lot of Bible verses that I know. God wants us to have um, discipline and purpose, to know where we're going and where he's taking us, and perseverance. We have to go through. We have to... Um, not give up and get through. James 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, wherever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So James is saying, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. So I love um, when Graham Cook talks about this and he says, you should be phoning up all your friends and saying, I've got a trial, I've got a trial. <laughs> Come and have a glass of champagne with me. God has got something amazing for me. He, like, he believes in me enough that he thinks I can get through this and he has got something amazing for me at the other end. Wow, God is amazing. Come and celebrate with me. Isn't that great? Who feels like that when they've got a trial? <laughs> Who wants to feel like that when they've got a trial? I do. I'm still not there yet. <laughs> I definitely do. Um, okay, so the disciples had a very different attitude as well to pain and to um, persevering through pain. Um, when Paul and Silas got thrown into prison, what's the first thing they did? They worshipped God. They're like, yes. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for this amazing opportunity. And they, they didn't once think, oh, God doesn't love me, or God's messed up, or I must have done something wrong to end up in prison. They were like, wow, this is an amazing opportunity. I'm going to worship you wherever I am. You're still God. You're still good. You're still faithful. And I'm still yours. Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, because God knows that we're more resilient than we think we are. In 2 Corinthians, he says, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Um, Proverbs 3, verse 11 says, My son, do not dis despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. God disciplines those he loves. And the word discipline there. Um, in the Bible, in that context, doesn't mean punishment. God doesn't punish the ones he loves. He says that um, there's no fear in love because love, because um, fear comes from a fear of punishment. The word discipline there is like an amazing coach. It's like, right, I've got this amazing task for you to do, and in order for you to do it, you need to be really well equipped and you need to be well resourced. Come on. You've got to do more press-ups. You've got to build up those muscles. Come on, hit the floor. And he's like, come on, you can do it. And he really believes in us. And that's the word that um, discipline means there. God loves us. He believes us. Believes in us. He believes that a situation that the enemy thinks is going to destroy you, God is going to work in to make you. And that's amazing. So going back to my work story, I really believed that the enemy was trying to take me down. And it was a really um, tough spiritual battle as well. He was using the very thing that would, right, I know, if this is her weakness. If I turn the dial up on that, she's got no hope. 
And God's like, ah, yes, she has. You'll see. (laughs) Um, So it's all good. Right. So you'll only grow to the threshold of your pain. So whenever you think, oh, I can't take this anymore. As soon as you walk away, you're not going to grow anymore. You do need periods of rest. So by all means, take rest. When you're going through... um, when you're going through difficult times, we'll call them growing pains. My teenagers are going through growing pains at the moment. Every day they walk up, wake up two inches taller. They want to eat more. Um, they want to drink more. They want to sleep more. But, you know, they're, they're complaining that their legs hurt all the time. They're going through growing pains. And sometimes when we're going through growing pains, we do need to rest more. But we do also need to keep going. Even if keeping going just means being able to stand and not backing down from this. Okay. So the other thing about um, going through pain, does anyone want to change the channel yet? Are you all right? (laughs) Great. Um, The other thing about going through pain is, um, and Jim was talking earlier about being unraveled. So sometimes God, if we allow him, will deliberately unravel us. And he does that in order to get to the deep parts of us because he wants to speak something deep in us so God could have told me all day long not to think worry about what other people thought but until I actually had to battle that um, and be faced that situation that wound was being used in me I was opening myself up for God to come and reveal a deep thing into my heart and sometimes that's the only way that he can really speak something deep into us So I just want to encourage you that if you're going through painful times, or if you have been, or if you do in the future, try not to patch up. Try not to run away from painful things. Try not to just plaster it up as quickly as possible and just carry on as if nothing's happened. Because you're missing out on an amazing opportunity for God to really minister deeply into you. When I was about 15, I was um, cycling along the path and um, with a carrier bag on the handlebars. Do you know how this is going to end? And the carrier bag um, got caught in the wheel. And so my, um, my pedals at the time had spokes on them. So that went right into my leg. Massive gash right down to the bone. So that's the first time I saw my bone. The second time was exactly a week later after that had healed up. And I was um, cycling along with the carrier bag <laughs> on my handlebars. Because I obviously hadn't learnt my lesson yet. <laughs> and... Um, the bag got caught in the wheel and I went flying into a wall <laughs> and then um, cut my knuckle. I still can't quite work out how I did it because it's right in between my two knuckles. But anyway, managed to see the bone again, so it's amazing. So um, when you, God cuts you or when other people cut you, when you feel cut or hurt by life, the idea is you're meant to be able to see something deeper. It's meant to reveal something of who God is. It's meant to reveal something of who you are. What was your reaction like in that situation? Sometimes my reactions aren't what I wanted. Sometimes they, um, they reveal pride or selfishness or self-protection. What, I, what do I want to be revealed when I feel cut by somebody? I want, I want courage. I want to, I'm sorry if this is too graphic for everyone, squirming. But anyway, I want to bleed, I want to bleed love. I want to bleed trust in God. I want to bleed hope and faithfulness and courage. 
I don't always, but that's what I want. That's what I'm going for. So, um, but anyway, yeah, let's use our wounds to really um, understand what God's revealing in us, but also really understand what he wants to minister to us. Um, so I think, uh, okay, let me just read this quote. So the wounds that come to us through life are supposed to be sacred wounds. They're supposed to destroy the false sense of self and get us down to something deeper. People who skate through life and don't really have many problems are probably the most to be pitied, is by James Denham. And deep wounds are meant to give access to God for deeper revelation. And I am laboring the point a little bit because I really feel like God wants to minister in this particular incident. So um, can we just close our eyes for a minute? Because I just want to invite God to come into our wounds. Thank you, Father, that um, Hebrews 4, verse 6 says, The word of God is alive and active, and it's sharper than double-edged sword, and it penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And Father, would you just come now? Would you just come on wounds that um, have been closed up, God, that need to open up now before you, Lord, where we need to be vulnerable before you? And God, would you just come on wounds that have been inflicted by other people? And that damage has been caused by other people. And would you just come on wounds that we have caused on ourselves, Lord, by the way that we might have treated ourselves or the thoughts that we've had about things, Lord, the thoughts that we've had about you or the thoughts that we've had about ourselves, Lord. Would you just come into those deep parts of our hearts, Lord? Would you come and just reach the deep parts that um, no one else can reach, that, that nothing else can reach, God? We don't just want you skin deep, Lord. We want you deep, deep. You come. You just come and pour in with your love, your healing, Lord. God, and just the other thing about wounds is that I asked God um, in the last. Okay, I'll tell you the other story. So in the last six months. Um, I've been particularly feeling an awful lot of pain. And nothing particularly has happened apart from I'm turning 40 soon. Um, so basically for me, the way I describe it, and I don't mean to belittle um, what everyone else is going through, but um, the way I described it is as my mini midlife crisis, because I really, I'm not ready to turn 40 yet. Um, so for me, I've been really going through this process of looking back over the last 20 years and Basically, it's been the most painful. Honestly, I have felt the most pain that I've ever felt in my life in the last six months. Um, but nothing particular has happened. But I think I have been feeling all the pain that I haven't been feeling for the last 20 years. And also the, um, the uh, I don't know, I guess a grieving process. So letting go of things that I need to let go of in order to move on the next 20 years and things like that. But through this time, the pain has felt so intense that... I've been like, God, this feels a bit too intense to just be normal grieving. Is there anything else going on? It's not, this is, doesn't feel healthy, you know? Sometimes, I don't know, sometimes grieving can be healthy. You know, we go into a process. This feels really unhealthy. What's going on? And God said to me, you know, that's what you're feeling is extra that you don't need to feel is the pain of self-pity. You don't need to feel that. You don't need to feel sorry for yourself. Um, so it's like, okay, what do I need to feel instead? And he's like, you need to feel thankful. Be thankful for everything that's happened. Be thankful for what's happening now. Be thankful for what you've got in the future. Um, so that was just something I wanted to share with you. But there's other things as well that can make you feel more 
pain more intensely when you need to. Um, I'll let you talk to God about that. Okay, I need to move on. So, um, the other thing about pain and victories. So, victories aren't just for you, they're for everyone around you. So, everyone has um, a sphere of influence around them, people that they're, um, they relate to, that are affected by stuff that goes on in you. So when you're really fighting for a victory, whether you're, when, whenever you're thinking, is this battle really worth it? Is it worth me persevering with this or not? Just think about who around you is being affected by that. So I want to really quickly illustrate the story of David. So David, when he fought Goliath, he was the only person brave and courageous enough to stand up and fight Goliath. But his victory paved the way for the whole of the rest of the nation of Israel to come through and to take land and to win the victory. Later on in his life, he became afraid and there was a battle he did not want to face and that was um, the battle with his children. He wasn't able to face his children and say, actually what you're doing is wrong and, and kind of make a judgment where he needed to make a judgment. He wasn't able to come and sort out relational problems with his children. And that, him losing that personal battle, lost a whole battle for the whole nation of Israel. The um, result of that was his son took the throne and the whole of, um, and David lost the kingdom. So actually your battles aren't just about you. That's not just about you winning. It is about the people around you. So I want to encourage you to keep fighting, keep going, keep persevering. Um, God wants you to win. God is on your side. He wants you to win and he's cheering you on. And so I said I'd speak about Job. So Job is a book in the Bible, and it's really long and really difficult to read. So I knew that God wanted me to get some information out of it, but I didn't know what, so I've had to read it like a million times. Just, God, what are you saying? I don't understand it. But it's basically a really long book full of poetic language. It's actually really beautiful to read, and I did want to read it all out to you, but, you know, if you want to sit here for the next three or four hours, I can. But... Um, if not, I'll just, I'll just summarize it really quickly for you, and I'll try and pull out some of the nice language. Um, but basically, Job was a, a guy really back in the, um, before, I would say before religion days, so where there was an after before, so there wasn't necessarily a, um, a face-to-face relationship with God in the same way that there was in the garden, but there also was a real awareness of God and his ways and his understanding of who he is and how to, um, how to please him. So Job is set in that time. And James introduces Job like this. As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord has finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So Job is upheld as somebody who managed to persevere through pain and, um, and win. So in chapter 1, we find him, he is the, like the head of his household, so he's like the king of his little area, and he's got loads and loads of cattle and sheep and servants, and that's how you measure wealth. And, and he's got children, and you find him offering sacrifices on behalf of his children just in case they've sinned after they've gone out and gotten drunk the night before. So for me, that speaks of somebody who's maybe a little bit fearful and has got a view of God and, and how to please him, but isn't really necessarily 
teaching the children how to follow him and, um, and wants to just do things just in case. So that's um, him at the start. But we also find God addressing all his angels and saying, have you seen Job? Job is amazing. He's like, he, um, he is just to be upheld as an example of what it's like to be a human being. He's great. And Satan, I don't know what he's doing there. I don't know how we get to see this scene in the first place, and I don't know what Satan's doing in the presence of God. But anyway, if we just forget that poetic license for a bit and um, just go with the story. So Satan comes up and he says, yeah, but that's because you've protected him. You've given him all these amazing things. You've given him wealth. You've given him health. You've given him children. Of course he's going to love you. And God's like, all right then. Um, If you take away all that stuff from him, but don't touch him, I bet you anything he'll still love you, still love me. And so, um, so Satan goes and everything in one day, everything is destroyed. He loses all his children, he loses his animals, he loses his servants all in one day. Um, At the end of that, Job says this, it's the famous line, naked I've come from my mother's womb and naked I depart. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He falls on his face and worships. And that shows such an amazing integrity. Um, And so the next day, God is like, see, I told you, Job is amazing. And Satan was like, oh yeah, but you haven't let me touch him yet. If you let me touch him, nobody can stand to be in pain. I bet you anything, um, he'll curse you. And so God said, okay, fine, but don't touch his life. So, um, so God allowed Satan to touch his body. And he was covered in sores from head to foot. And we find him scraping himself with, um, with bits of broken pottery sitting in the ashes at the end of chapter 2. And we find his wife encouraging him just to curse God and die. Just forget your integrity and die. And we find his friends, who are also heads of other households, coming over from afar to sit with him in the dust and in the ashes. And nobody could say a word for seven whole days. And if you want to know how to be a good friend to someone who's going through pain, you can take a lesson from Job's friends in chapter 2. Just, people just want you to sit with them in their pain. And we're not asking why. And we're not questioning. We're just experiencing the pain. So, but then chapter 3 starts with when Job opens his mouth. It kind of goes a little bit wrong. Because then for the next... 35 chapters, Job and his friends have this massive conversation about, well, we know that God wouldn't do this just to anyone just because he feels like it, because God's good and God's just and and all this kind of stuff. And Job's like, I know, but I haven't done anything wrong. What can I do? And so this goes on for um, 42, no, sorry, 35 chapters, and they don't get anywhere. So, So Job isn't blaming God, and he isn't cursing God. But he is asking why. He's like, why is this happening? Uh, You know, what I thought I knew of God, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't add up. At the end of that, God then spends four chapters asking Job questions about his, um, which reveal his greatness and his majesty and his love. He says things like, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Do you hunt the prey of the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in the waiting thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cried out to God and wonder about the lack of food? So God is just saying to Job, 
well, he isn't. He's just asking questions. But Job, by the end, kind of realizes, wow, I don't know anything. Like, God is so much bigger than I think. You know, asking why of God is such a victim question because you're assuming God to give you an answer. You're like, God, justify yourself to me. And now I've stopped answering my kids when they ask me why because I'm like, God, there's an answer. I'm not going to (laughs) answer. Just live with it. So... So Job responds at the end with this, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Surely I spoke of things I do not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. My ears have heard of you before, but now my eyes have seen you. It's like, wow, he, has, he had what he thought was an understanding of God. And now through his wounds, God has been able to reveal so much more of his love. He's had a personal, intimate relationship with God. I pretty much guarantee He is now no longer walking in fear like he was before. And he is working with a deeper revelation of who God is. And even a deeper revelation of how much he means to God. I think he felt so much more loved after that situation because God met him where he was. And God upheld him. It says at the end that God restored two times everything that he had. And Job lived another 140 years. He saw the fourth generation of his children being born. And he died an old man and full of years, which means very happy. So also, if you look at it in that bigger perspective, that season that Job went through actually was only very small, even though when you're in the middle of it, I know it feels really overwhelming and really big and horrendous. But if you're going through pain and not feeling loved by God, you might want to change the way you approach him. Instead of asking God questions about why it's happening, ask God for what he's hidden for, hidden for you in that situation. There are treasures and there are gems that he can only reveal to you in those situations, and he wants to do that. Um, Bishop Dale Bonner says, don't look to get out of a situation until you get from the situation what God has hidden in it for you. Sometimes God delivers you from the fiery furnace, and other times he makes you fireproof. When he makes you fireproof, you must endure it. God is more concerned with your development than he is with your comfort. You'll be set ablaze, but you will not be consumed. And I really hope that you're not hearing that God doesn't care about how much pain you go through because he doesn't love you, because he does. He loves you so much. But he knows that you can. And he knows he completely trusts your ability to go through stuff. And he completely trusts his ability to work something amazing in what he's leading you through. Um, How much? Two minutes. Oh, I can finish with my last point. I didn't think I'd have time. So, before I finish, I just wanted to, um, one more thing. I want you to know that God is walking with you through your pain. And the picture God gave me was um, of the yoke. So in the Bible, Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, it says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, When I was reading this verse, I didn't have a clue what a yoke was, actually. So I had to look it up. And I looked it up, and I thought I knew it went on an animal, and I knew it was for working the land. But apart from that, I didn't have a clue. And I knew, you know, in order for me to understand this verse, I need to at least know what a yoke was. So I looked it up, and it said that a yoke was a wooden cross piece that fastened over the heads and necks of two animals and attached the plow or cart that they were to pull. So it's the bit that joins the two animals together. And I... I had to honestly look it up about four or five times on different places because I didn't believe it. 
because I'm like, really? Is it just for two people? Is it, it's really like, it's like a partnership thing. And so putting that into context, Jesus says, my yoke, Jesus is now a cow <laughs> in my story. And, you know, he's obviously a bigger cow than me. And he's able to pull a lot more. And he's really experienced. And he knows what he's doing and where he's going. And he's like, just put this on. Come on, I'm going to be the bigger, stronger, more mature cow. And we're going to go through this. And it's going to be fine. And I'm like, yeah, okay, great. We can do this. I'm just going to follow his lead. Um, he's, and he says, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. And he's going to lead me. He's going to, Psalm 23 says, he leads us besides still waters. So we might go through the valley of the shadow of death, but he's with us. He's comforting us. And he leads us to the banqueting table where we get to feast in the presence of our enemies and say, ha, you tried your best, but never mind. Um, so God is always with us. He's guiding us and leading us, growing us and training us. He doesn't leave us orphaned. His yoke is easy, which means it's just, it fits really well, it's comfortable, and he's there with us. He's guiding us, and he's leading us. Shall we pray? Yeah. Thank you, Father, for your promise that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Thank you, Father. But that doesn't mean that we won't go through trials. Thank you, God, that we are to expect trials. God, but we can face them fearlessly with you, Lord. We can face them fearlessly with you by our side, but also knowing that you have also been through trials, Lord, and you have won. Thank you, God. We're going to give our lives to you again, Lord, and just say, do what you want with our lives, Lord. And where you lead, we will follow. Thank you, Lord. Come and have your way, Lord. Come and have your way. God, I know that not all pain is nice or pleasant to go through, God, but thank you that there is an opportunity there for us to meet you, to have deeper encounters and deeper revelation. So God, for the things that you've hidden for us in the difficult times. And if there's anyone going through those difficult times now, Lord, I just pray that you'd reveal those things for them. Thank you, Lord.